0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Happy to be with you again today. Thank you for tuning in. It's a blessing to be able to come together, to learn from the Word of God, to apply in our life lessons, which uh, can help us to cope with all the things going on in this world. I would like to welcome the panel for this uh, Bible Study today, and I will start with Harvey, Harvey, it's um, a pleasure to have you with us. I know uh, we were missing you for a while, but good to have you back.
1: Oh, it's good to be able to participate in the study of God's word, and I hope we all get a benefit from it.
0: And Brenton, good to have you with us also.
2: Always nice to be here, Nick. Nice and cool down here in the southeast.
0: Lija, it's good to have you with us joining this time.
3: Yes, I feel very privileged to study the Word of God again.
0: And Will, thank you for being part of this panel. Thank you, Nick. I'm
4: challenged by today's um, topic on education.
0: And we're looking forward to see what the Bible has to say in this regard. Len is the one who prepared this. Is our facilitator. Thank you for joining us, Len, and uh, welcome to the program.
5: Thank you, Nick, and uh, hello, listeners. I'm glad you've joined us today. We have a very interesting study. In fact, we are commencing a new series of studies, and these, as already been briefly mentioned, are about education. You know, education affects everybody. The Bible recognises the importance of education and contains many references to it. Because the Lord is the source of all true knowledge, all true education, that is all Christian education, should direct our minds toward God and toward His own revelation about Himself. Through nature, Through the written word, that's the Bible, and through the revelation of Christ in that written word, we've been given all we need, and then some, to come to a saving relationship with the Lord. Over the next three months, we will share with you what the Bible says about education, and I hope you're going to be able to join us each week. Today's topic is... Education in Eden. But before we start, we would like to commence with a prayer. And Harvey's going to pray for us.
1: We thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity of studying your word. We thank you for each of the the people that are going to be participating and especially the listeners. We pray that you'll be with each of us, that we will get a blessing from it and that the Holy Spirit will guide our minds so that the things said and done will be according to your name's honour and glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
5: Thank you, Harvey. Now, there was a mention of true education, and Will, what do you classify as true education as compared to other education?
4: Len, every branch of science has its origin in the Creator uh, think of astronomy, chemistry, physics and all the branches of science, all initiated by one almighty creator. But then surely for us to trace knowledge to its source, the almighty one, the creator, has to be the highest ideal for us all. We can become merely the reflector of other people's thoughts, professors, doctors, teachers, uh, if we wish, learned as they may be. But to me, to seek the highest wisdom is uh, a quest that we should all maintain. I'd like to read a little forward out of a book published about a 100 years ago, which says true education is well-defined as the harmonious development of all the faculties, a full and adequate preparation For this life and the future eternal life. Any education which recognizes God as the source of all wisdom and understanding is earnestly recommended. And I recommend with this little booklet, uh, this very philosophy for us all. So that was uh,
5: really nice what you said, Will. Could I just ask you to condense it down to a, a nutshell what would be true education? I think true education is what
4: leads us to recognise God and uh, to recognise Jesus Christ and to remind us of uh, life eternal as a reward.
5: Right, thank you. Now, Brenton, education, as you would know, it produces either positive or negative outcomes. Would you yeah. like to give us an example of a positive and a negative
2: outcome? Uh, education is more, then than simply knowledge. It's the application of uh, what you receive that's important. Also, it's rather interesting that in life there are a lot of things that can be used both, positive, both, both positively and negatively. Uh, one of the examples that we've got here is um, the example of using education the purpose of understanding salvation and how we can be saved another negative application would be the application of certain skills for stealing cars picking locks Uh, another thing that came to me while i was thinking on this subject was the issue of atomic energy now atomic energy can be used wisely it can be used to power houses it can be used to power boats submarines and other things It can also be used to produce bombs, to kill people. So there alone you have an application of principles, the splitting of the atom and other things. Uh, In applying these principles, they can be used both for the positive benefit of humanity but also for the destruction of humanity. What we need to recognise is, as Will said very briefly, without a knowledge of God... I believe it is always possible that education can be misused rather than used correctly.
5: Yes, thank you. Well, you've got something
4: to add. Thinking about positive and negative outcomes of education, I only think of examples like Charles Darwin's Origin of the Species yes. or uh, the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx. You only have to realise when you read the anti-Semitic propositions of Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler, that um, education
5: can go both ways. Yes. Yes. To the benefit or to the destruction of humanity. Well, um, after answering that question I asked you before so lucidly, (laughs) Branton, I want to ask you this. What was the first school on planet Earth?
2: It's interesting, Len, uh, the only way you would get something similar today, I guess, is if you went to Herbre Agricultural College. (laughs) You might get something similar. Let me read just briefly uh, what it says in the Bible. The Lord God planted, I'm reading from Genesis 2, verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, Their first um, school was actually the Garden of Eden that God had uh, created. What's interesting about this, though, uh, when it goes down to verse 15 and 16, it says this, Then the Lord God took the man and put in, in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. I found this really interesting, Len, because the word for tend or keep is shamar, S-H-A-M-A-R. It means to guard or to preserve. Now, we're talking about a perfect world with perfect human beings, perfect animals, perfect plants. There is a suggestion in this um, term to keep it that because we know that satan and his angels had been cast out of heaven there was always the possibility that despite this perfect environment it may possibly be under threat so therefore whilst adam had the work of guarding it and keeping it and tending it he needed to be on the lookout for the possibility that there might be something that would spoil this perfect environment
5: that's a very interesting observation And the first human beings who were placed in that garden was Adam and Eve. God created Adam first. But Lydia, was Adam a baby or was he a monkey or was he a mature man?
3: (laughs) He was a mature and adult man created by God. In Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, He created him; male and female, He created them. So, I think He was perfect, a perfect being. He was sinless. He was intelligent, articulate, very bright and clear in thinking. And uh, I think they were uh, both of them, Adam and and if they were commissioned to, um, in verse 28, it says, "Be fruitful." and increase in number fill the earth and subdue and rule over all the creatures and in in chapter 2 Genesis chapter 2 says that he named all the creatures that the man called each living creature and he named them that and that was its name it names to all the the livestock the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field
5: okay now Harvey I want to ask you a pretty left-field question. Do you think Adam randomly gave names to the creatures or maybe he named them after perhaps some of their characteristics?
1: Interesting question, Len, because I wonder if the names that were given to the animals, whether we use those same names today. So Certainly, I doubt that he was speaking English when he actually named the animals. And so it's really only just a speculative comment. But I'm sure that Adam, in his intelligence, would have named them for a good reason. And possibly it was because of a characteristic of them. We sort of think today, don't we? When we think of, if we think of strength, we think of lions, if we think of something that's Fragile, we think perhaps of dragonflies or something like that. But uh, to actually say that it was named for a characteristic, if there was some, and in the language he used, I'd be surprised if he didn't use some reason for actually naming them what he actually named them.
5: Yes, personally, I think of the cuckoo. The Cuckoo is kind of named after the call that it makes. Well... You were going to say something earlier, and I missed you. Ledger read about
4: um, God creating mankind in his own image, and the Bible repeats it in the image of God created them, male and female he created them. Lennon panel and listener, I think that it's absurd and blasphemous to suggest that Adam looked anything like an ape if he was uh, created in the image of God. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, I can deduce that Jesus did not look anything like a primate. Yes.
2: I agree. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, Nick? Uh, I I was just going to say, um, in the regard of uh, naming, and I'll just refer to Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. You know, when uh, God took a rib of the side of Adam, and Eve was coming alive. You know what uh, a- Adam said? This is one is born from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman, Isha. Do you see here that he had a reason to name her that way? That was not just randomly saying something. He particularly named her Isha. Yes. He mentions that this is now three times in that verse. That's correct. And that's what I'm trying to say here. With naming all the animals, I believe that Adam had already a connection with all nature and all the creation of God, and he acted in accordance with that relationship. Okay. All right, Branton?
2: Just quickly, Len, on this one before we do move on, it's it's a very interesting. Um, Moses gives us limited information, as Harvey alluded to here, but um, if animals were named after their characteristics and their habits, uh, remember that part of, if you wish, Adam's job description was that he was to be the ruler over God's creation. Wouldn't it be logical, uh, following that thought, to name the animals according to their kinds and according to other things in recognition of the fact that God had placed him as sovereign over all these particular animals.
1: Yes, Harvey? Just another comment about that too, Len. It really works the other way for us, doesn't it? We name some sort of characteristic by an animal. As I said, strength, we call it a lion. You know, he's, he's a lion or... Or a person that's sneaky, a snake in the grass, or something like that. We name the characteristic by the animal.
5: All right. Okay. So, well, there's a possibility. We we're kind of speculating here, but there are some fairly good reasons, I think, to suggest that the characteristics noticed by Adam of various creatures probably brought about their name I was thinking of the Dutch word of hippopotamus now in Dutch and probably in Afrikaans a horse is called a pard and a hippopotamus of course lives in the water especially in the Nile
0: and so they call it a Nile pard or nail pard. Len just sorry to interrupt just yeah because uh, this one um, we'll, we'll move on from here but you know The Bible is so clear in regard of things like this. We cannot uh, even, as you just said, we may speculate, but I don't think so we are in a position of speculating here. All through the Bible, uh, God's people, when they name even their children, they name it with a purpose, with a reason, with what they, you know, uh, I mean, I can take examples, you know, why Jacob was named Jacob, or or other people, and so on and so forth. Uh, I believe uh, in uh, that context, and I'll repeat that word again, it was a strong relationship, a strong relationship, and that was a result of naming all the things.
5: Good point you've raised, Nick,
0: because... Well, when God made uh,
5: the animals, the birds, the insects, and so on, he made man as Adam. But, well, God, the Creator, recognized a problem. And how is that problem solved? Well, God
4: noticed that there was no companion for Adam, and uh, he proceeded to make uh, the woman Eve. We've uh, just commented on it uh, so far, but I'd just like to read a portion of uh, Genesis 2. Verse 18 said, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. From verse 21 it says, The Lord caused the man to fall into a sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of the man. And so... The answer was that there was a problem, um, that Adam was alone.
5: Okay. So, Brendan, in this beautiful garden environment, tell me, what sort of things did Adam learn?
2: Well, some of the things he would have learned is navigating his right way around the, uh, the garden. We've also got to recognise, Len, that not only did the garden contain plants and things, it also contained animals. Uh, because I dare say the animals would have wandered around in the garden as well. You would have had different types of foods. You would have had to uh, adjust your taste buds to, although having said that, I've got to be careful. Remember, we're talking about a perfect world with perfect fruit, perfect uh, nuts and uh, seed-bearing plants and that sort of thing. I guess it would be a case of learning the different tastes and um, how they affect your um, vitality. The animals, um, Will touched on that. It's rather interesting. When Adam would have been naming the animals, I'm sure at the end of the time, because it says God brought the animals to him and whatever name Adam called them, that's what they were called, Adam must have realised that probably amongst the animals there was male and female, in other words, companions for one another, And yet he had no companion. So I think in naming the animals, it would have dawned on him at some point in time that I am incomplete. I don't think it was only God who realised that it was um, not good for man to be alone. I I reckon Adam must have realised at times too that um, everything else seems to have a pair, but I haven't. (laughs) And uh, most of all, he would have learnt that this woman, Isha, that had been taken out of his side, um, spoke his language, but also had a different view of thinking, a different way of uh, looking at life and that sort of thing. So there would have been some adjustments. Part of the education, as it is today, then, in marriage, is getting used to one another, I guess. (laughs) Getting used to the fact that um, back then, though, they wouldn't have had to get used to having to put up with one another's weaknesses or overlook them. Uh, They would have been strengths that um, Adam and Eve would have been dealing with. But nevertheless, because she was a woman and he was a man, there were adjustments that needed to be made. I think those adjustments were very important uh, for the overall harmony of not only the relationship of the man with the woman, but the relationship of both of them with the animal kingdom and uh, the other parts of God's creation. In other words, God wanted harmony, and this was important, I think.
5: Um, Yes, Adam had a rather steep learning curve, I believe. He did. did. (laughs) Uh, And living with a woman is quite often a steep learning curve, and probably women would say, well, living with a man is a steep learning curve. But, Harvey, we've been talking about naming animals and wandering around and finding out there what's here and what's there. Was there any spiritual dimension in Adam and Eve's life?
1: Yes, I would like to read Genesis 3 verse 8. It sort of gives us an insight into this. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the gardens. Now, interestingly, this verse is after they fell. This is after they'd actually um, eaten of the tree that God said not to eat. But they'd had the privilege of walking and talking with God in the garden in the evening. And what a privilege they had and what a privilege they forfeited by doing what was against the will of God. But they were able to walk and talk with him face to face. And I sort of look at it from the point of view of that's our promise, that we will again be able to do that throughout eternity if we're faithful. But uh, sadly, our first parents made the mistake and then they tried to hide themselves from God because they were ashamed.
5: Walking and talking with God, no doubt, has some very interesting
0: uh, aspects to it. Yes, Nick? I was just going to um, just to touch a little bit on of what Brenton was saying about uh, harmony. Because, uh, you know, just imagine uh, orchestra out of tune. If it's not uh, the right rhythm... Uh, Harmony, um, how would you like to listen to what they're presenting? Now, in the garden, in the garden of Eden, everything, everything had a perfect rhythm, a perfect harmony. And that was a huge lesson for uh, the first couple there to see that everything is falling in place nicely. And to link that with what uh, Harvey was just saying, and talking about the spiritual connection with the Creator and everything else there, how important is to maintain that harmony, to maintain that rhythm, to um, not to think, okay, look, I mean, we can do it differently. You know, people today in the church will have that attitude. Will say, I mean, we can do it how we feel. We can do it how we think. We can do it in our generation is different than in another generation. You see how the evil one is implanting his techniques in our mind to think that I can do differently rather than to follow what God had put in place for us all. I believe it's a huge uh, lesson to learn for uh, what happened in the Garden of Eden and where we are in a fallen uh, right yes we'll, we'll come to attention. that a little bit later but it's a good
5: point you raise yes um, the harmony was there so walking and talking with God what do you think was that a, a learning experience for Adam and Eve Ledger?
3: of course God created the first pair the first couple um, intending to be his companion, companionship. So um, he needed God needed to be in a closer relationship with them, and they needed to be in a closer relationship with with God. So God created an intimate space in Eden, with uh, within the confines of the garden, and uh, placed them there. And um, they were the children of God under. His care, and not only that, but they were the students receiving instructions from the Creator. Uh, we know that we uh, they were visited uh, by the angels. They were granted communion with their Maker, and I read that they met with the Lord mornings and evenings, with no obscuring veil in between. And uh, being... Uh, Perfect, being created as perfect beings, they were full of of the vigor um, imparted by the tree of life and uh, their intellectual power was but little less than uh, that of the angels. So they were taught by the glory of heavens and um, orderly revolutions and balancing of the clouds and the mysteries of the light and sound of the day and night so they learned from this that the God is the, the, the master creator.
5: All right. Well, they would have learned about their creator, wouldn't they? Yeah. Will, you wanted to share something.
4: I think of a text, Lynn, Colossians 2, verse 13, which says, in him, that's God, are hid all the treasures of wisdom. You know we've heard of the term higher education, and that's used uh, about the top fields of study that confronts men's minds today. But I'd like to reflect that the on the very basis or source of all education, highest or the highest education, God the Creator. I read a little uh, a little quote which I'd like to share. The world has had its great teachers men of giant intellect and extensive research men whose utterances have stimulated thought and opened to view vast fields of knowledge and these men have been honored as guides and benefactors of their race but there is one who stands higher than they we can trace the line of the world's teachers as far back as human records extend but The light was before them. In a knowledge of God, all true knowledge and real development have their source. God, the very origin of all things wise, all knowledge, um, surely has to be studied. And if he was teaching directly, uh, it must have been a great benefit to Adam and Eve. Yes, ledger.
3: I would like also to mention that they were created uh, as free moral beings, able to choose between obedience, uh, obedience and disobedience. So God gave them the freedom of choice.
5: Yes, that's right. Now, will this utopian environment God created as the garden home of our first parents? was suddenly and sadly interrupted. Now, Nick alluded to this before, but would you like to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6? What happened? Well, let me summarise. An intruder actually stepped in, a
4: serpent. Uh, He confronted Eve and tried to divert loyalty to God. And Revelation 20, verse 2, identifies the serpent, whom it calls the devil. And I believe we'll be talking a little bit more about Genesis 3, verses 1 to 6, and what happened around the tree and the entrance of sin in just a moment or so.
5: Okay, so because of what that serpent, and I believe it was Satan through the serpent, said, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they sinned. And suddenly things change from this utopian, harmonious environment where there was trouble. Innocence was destroyed. There was deception. They suffered guilt. They suffered a troubled conscience. They suffered separation from God. They suffered punishment. They suffered breakdown of relationships. They blamed each other and blamed someone else. And this meant a total upheaval of their lives. So what did this serpent say to Eve, Brenton?
2: Uh, the serpent said to Eve the following. Did God really say um, that you may not eat of the fruit of any tree of the garden? Um, when I jump to verse 3, it says in her part of her response, she said, but of the fruit of that tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Uh, The word there in the Hebrew is Elohim. Uh, You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, notice what's happening here. The word subtle in uh, verse 1, is the Hebrew word arum, spelled A-R-U-M. Interestingly, the last verse of chapter 2, Len, where it says the man and his wife were naked, the same word for naked is arum. So you've got that word in two consecutive verses of Scripture. What does it teach us? It teaches us that originally when God created Adam and Eve, they were not clothed. They were clothed with the garment of light. And they they were naive, and naive in a good sense. When we think of naivety, we usually think of it in, uh, uh, shall we say, derogatory terms. But their naivety was a naivety of innocence. Yes. They were perfect and they stood in God's presence. But notice what's happening here. Uh, it's almost, first of all, he asks a question. The question seems to be in itself innocent. But in actual fact, he's using a technique, Len, that probably some of us have seen if we've ever watched television shows on law or ever been in a court of law. Often you will find the role of the defending um, judge, defend or the, the role of the defending lawyer, defending the um, accused one, is to plant a seed of doubt in the mind of the witness. Now, what's happening here is... Uh, satan speaking through the serpent says did god really say that now her answer suggests that she knew the right answer but what's interesting is in chapter two it says god said to them if you eat the fruit of this tree you will surely die now that's an unequivocal statement here it's saying lest you die you can sense that there's a degree of doubt starting to enter in now Now that he's placed a seed of doubt in her mind, he comes out with this statement, you will not surely die, which is a definitive statement. Now she's been placed in a situation, Len, of saying, am I going to believe God or am I going to believe this talking snake? And it seems as though uh, the talking snake is is having an influence because in five he tells her two things. He says that you will know uh, good from evil and, um, you will be like God. Now that answer is partly correct and partly wrong. God did not want, I believe, our parents to know what evil was. Mm. Evil began in heaven, didn't begin down here. He did not, they did not need to know what it was. Mm. But because they fell, because they took that next step, they did find out what it was. And the very first thing that happened is their naivety vanished and they felt guilt. So I'll leave it there, then, because there's uh, further more to go on. Yes,
5: quite a bit in that. Before you speak, Ledger, I'd just like to say that in Revelation 12, verse 9, gives names to Satan. He was called, amongst other things, Satan, the devil, and that ancient serpent. And this is probably a... uh, the best, one of the best references to show that it was Satan speaking through the serpent, Lijak.
3: I would like to um, say that um, when men, when Adam and Eve were created by God, they were covered with robes of light of God's righteousness, and when they sinned, their robes of light disappeared. And their intimacy with God was disrupted because of their uh, um, newly discovered uh, discovered intimacy with the self-centered of evil. And um, uh, they lost God's righteousness given uh, to them at the creation through this sin that they entered in. And in Psalm 84, verse 2, it says that human souls long for intimate relationship with God, and Jesus covers us again with his righteousness, with his robe of righteousness again. Mm.
5: Okay, well, the fact that Satan told a lie and mixed it with truth is probably typical of most deceivers. And um, the implications, of course, as was mentioned a little earlier, that the whole of the human race was affected by the choice that Eve and then Adam made. Will, you've got something you might like to share.
4: Yes, I think it's uh, Adam's response to what his companion had actually done. Adam understood that his companion had transgressed the command of God, disregarded the only prohibition that was laid upon them as a test of their fidelity and their love. And there was a terrible struggle in his mind. He mourned that he had permitted Eve to wander from his side, that now the deed was done, he must be separated from her whose society had been his joy. And uh, how could he have it thus? Unfortunately, though, uh, love for his wife made him uh, choose also to do wrong by partaking in the fruit. Though knowing right from wrong, he chose wrongly, partook of the fruit and uh, he shared the fate of
0: Eve to be banished from the garden. Yes. Nick? I'm going to just uh, bring it a little bit uh, from a different angle. Satan, known as Lucifer, chief of angels, he sinned against God in a perfect environment in heaven. Adam and Eve, they were in a perfect environment in the Garden of Eden. Now, the angels, they were puzzled by the Lucifer's attitude and the results, even when God cast them down from heaven into the darkness, as the Bible puts it, imagine, imagine how the hosts of heaven have, would have been, you know, thinking of what's happening there. And look at here, God could have create now these people to obey him. No question with, with no freedom of choice, but God through the human beings show again to the whole universe. How that can be activated, if you like, freedom of choice and what are the results of that freedom of choice. And I believe in this uh, this is the lesson which we, we're talking about education and we're talking about how God wants to educate us through everything that happened in a perfect environment the Garden of Edom, that's what our object lesson for this Bible study. Even though everything is perfect, everything is uh, uh, in the right place, we as human beings can make our own mind to be obedient or to rebel. And I believe this is very important because even in the sinful nature, we have this capacity of allowing God to take care of ourselves and we choose that that's a huge thing for a sinful being to be able to choose to do the right thing yeah. rather than to just follow the the pattern of you know sinful nature yeah brenton
2: uh, there's an inspired comment len in the bible commentary which i will quote rather than read for brevity's purposes Uh, God's original intention in creating uh, this world and Adam and Eve and telling them to be fruitful and multiply was that he intended to repopulate heaven with the human race um, had they never fallen. In other words, that would suggest to me, Len, that Satan and his angels were permanently excluded from heaven. There was no likelihood of them ever going back there again. And God's intention was that had we been faithful, we would... uh, Take their place in heaven but the good news from all of that is that we will be there because those who are saved at the end of time will do exactly that they'll be repopulating heaven so god's plans always work out whilst it seems as though at this point god's plans are in disarray in actual fact the long-term goal is that those who are faithful to him will again inhabit heaven and uh, his plans will be worked out I think what a wonderful God we serve. Uh, his, far, his foresight and his far-seeing the future that we can't see should give us confidence that the education that we're gaining down here on earth in knowing him will be complete when we eventually go to heaven and our education throughout eternity continues.
5: All right. Thank you. Now, Satan was a false teacher. What does uh, the Apostle Peter say about false teachers, Harvey?
1: For well, reading from Second Peter two verses one to three, it says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of the of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. So here we have a situation where it's saying that there's going to be false prophets around, but even more importantly, there's going to be false prophets from within, and it's talking from within God's people, not not from outside the church, but from inside the church. And so we have to be wary of it. The church is not uh, immune to the difficulty of false prophets and we have to be aware of that. And so this this is a warning that has been given to us that we need to take note of.
5: So, Harvey, could you say that there are people in various churches teaching stuff that is false?
1: I absolutely would because it's hard to imagine, well, it can't be even believed in any way that if people teach one thing and others teach exactly the opposite, that they can both be right. There has to be a situation where truth exists. Yes. And we should search what we can from Scripture when there is doubt to find out where the truth lies, because Jesus Himself said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." And so, right. if we actually follow Jesus, we should be searching for truth.
5: Okay. Well, now, is there any way, Lydia, that you, uh, any definition, any way to tell what is truth?
3: Yes, uh, we can read in Isaiah, chapter 8, verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. So it means truth has to be according to God's word. And in 1 John, chapter 4, verse 1 to 3 says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they, ca- they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So if the truth is not acknowledged, of Jesus Christ as a saviour, it means it's not truth, is an error.
5: All right. Well, that rules out a lot of philosophy and stuff like that, doesn't it? Right. And after Adam and Eve sinned, what were the immediate consequences?
2: Well, first, the first immediate consequence was that um, they lost their garment of light and uh, in verse 21 of chapter 3 then we find that god had to make skins to cover them first of all they tried to um, cover themselves with a garment of leaves um, therefore in verse 21 you find the first death. you find that god would have had to kill an animal in order to allow the skins to be used to cover adam and eve um what were some of the other things that they lost well It's interesting, in reading these verses, uh, very quickly, God did not curse Adam and Eve. God cursed the serpent. You'll find that in verse 14, verse 13 and verse 14. You'll also find God cursed the ground for Adam's sake. And he said, in future, you will till the ground and you'll have thorns and thistles and you'll have to work hard and eventually you will go back to the ground because you were taken from the ground, dust you are, and dust you shall return. Um, another thing that changed was the relationship then between men and women. Adam was appointed a ruler over his wife whereas before that they had actually been equals. Now that rulership we all know has been mightily abused down through the years. Mm. Um, but it's nevertheless it's there. Um, the, so what have you got? You've got Nature in disharmony, thorns and thistles, you have to deal with them. You've got disharmony between Adam and Eve, and um, you've got a, a broken relationship between God and his creatures. God no longer came down and walked and talked in the garden each evening with them. So on all levels, their relationships were breaking down. And the very first thing that happened, I believe, in, um, in sin was not only guilt, but a broken relationship. And when Jesus came, I believe, Len, what he was planning to do and what he did was to restore that broken relationship. And that's something that all our listeners can have. They can have that restored relationship with Christ because in Christ he has restored the link between us, his creatures, and God who created us.
5: Now, we have to uh, keep our comments fairly short, and that was really good, Brenton.
3: Uh, yes, Brendan actually mentioned whatever I want to say. The most important thing that Adam and Eve lost was their relationship with God and the heavenly angels. Yes. And also the beauty of a sinless life which, you know, they, uh, after that they, they just felt in themselves the weakness and uh, the darkness in, in which they were thrown after they ate from that f- uh, fruit and disobeyed God.
0: Okay, Nick. I just wanted quickly to say, we mentioned here church, my church, your church, false church, true church. I'd like to say something uh, very, uh, you know, I'd like to strongly uh, say this. We should not start to compare from a church to another church. We should go back to the Bible. Sola scriptura. Sola scriptura. Go back to the Bible. The Bible is the only tool or the only way of getting back to the right thing. And humanity needs to consider that, because unfortunately, when you talk about church, my church or your church, some churches says, you know, tradition, it's above the Bible, some other thing, you know, and all those things. I would like to see the Bible and the Bible alone. Yes, yes, well, let you read that
5: text from Isaiah 8.20 before. Mm -hmm. So what happened, which is part of the education that occurred in Eden, and not all education is um, given from a teacher, we learn from our mistakes too. It was a hard lesson for Adam and Eve. And, you know, sin takes its toll on everyone. Those of you who've um, studied English literature would probably know a little bit about a poem written by John Milton called Paradise Lost. But he wrote a sequel to it called Paradise Regained. And briefly, Will, what does the Apostle Peter say about Paradise Regained? In 2
4: Peter chapter 1, um, um, I'm referencing verses 3 to 11, but I'm just going to summarise. It says that God has called us, to his own glory and excellence so that through them you may be become partakers of a divine nature and the ultimate goal he says in verse 11 in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ the apostle peter in harmony with all of the other apostles, appointing believers to a wonderful reward uh, given to us by grace, a restitution of all things through Jesus Christ and an eternal life in his kingdom.
5: Yes. Well, we have to hurry. (laughs) And I want to say this. As Satan deceived Eve... False teachers abound in our time. What's the Apostle Peter say about them and their end result? Brenton?
2: Just quickly, uh, Len, I won't as you say, the time factor. Um, basically, he says that they deceive others and that they will be punished in the end. But what's interesting is, When you read Peter and you also read Paul, you realise that people who are deceivers, false teachers, often in the end, then, they are deceived themselves because it often says that they will deceive and be deceived. So it's not only those they're trying to deceive, they will be deceived themselves. But what is certain from all of this is that God is going to punish them. So the end game is that they will be punished. Yes.
5: And Harvey... What, does the, what advice does the Apostle Peter give to God's people?
1: Um, Peter says in Second Peter 3, verses 13 and 14, it says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. So what we should be doing is actually getting us ourselves through the righteousness of Christ to be blameless so that we will actually inherit the kingdom of God as we've been speaking about.
5: Yes. Mm. What we should be doing, according to what Peter wrote, is trying to make peace with God. And how do you make peace with God? It is, as you said, It's through acceptance of Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice on our behalves and living in in accordance with his will. You know, listeners, education comes in different ways. Sometimes through what we do wrong. True education, that is worthwhile education, is of eternal value. It is to learn how we can be saved through the merits of Jesus Christ, our saviour. PhDs can never save you. It is only through Christ that we can be saved. And I want to say this to you, make salvation your education focus. Thank you for joining us today. Before we leave you, we're going to have a prayer. Thank you, Will.
4: Heavenly Father, we recognize you as the source of all wisdom and all true education. All development should be centered in you. We pray that you will help us to be willing students in our quest for not only a greater knowledge of the Bible, of salvation, and of the world, but uh, to know our God more intimately. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you very much for joining us uh, today on this Bible study. We were uh, looking at um, how to get a good education and um, in a good environment, talking about the Garden of Eden. Now, next uh, Bible study, it's about the family and the responsibility of family to provide a good environment for a good education. I pray that you'll uh, join us uh, again next time. Until then, may God richly bless you. Keep walking in the footsteps of
5: Jesus.